Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. We hope this week's message encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. When I grow up, I want to be able to sing like Wes. I'd also like to be able to dunk like Wes. This guy can throw it down on a basketball court. Just not fair that God gave him all the talent. All I got was a bald spot. But uh, <clears throat> we will go on. Well, good morning. This is, uh, this is a little outside my comfort zone. Um, I am, uh, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. Um, I'm more of a small group discussion leader type of guy in the small group that uh, I'm a part of. We just go around and we start off by saying, hey, what, what was your week like? The highs and lows. And so we'll just start here in the front row and we'll work our, <laughs> work our way around. But uh, today we're, uh, we're going to talk about family. And um, in this family we have, how many Purdue fans do we have? Do we have any IU fans? We're Purdue one. Um, okay, so here's the deal. I had, I had no intentions whatsoever of telling any Purdue jokes. Um, but then Bo Humphrey spoke two weeks ago, and he made a few comments about Bloomington that I needed to correct. So I thought 15, 20 minutes of Purdue jokes, and we'd get back to where we needed to be. You know what's funny about this whole Purdue IU thing? I don't know if all of you are aware of this, but uh, um, our pastor, or as we call him in our home, Pastor Uncle Brother Johnny Mac, he has been... He has been poking Purdue fans for like a decade, right? And busting your chops every chance he gets. Next month, if all goes to plan, his little daughter, Jessie, is going to go to Purdue. (laughs) And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. (laughs) So I have a feeling we may have heard the last of the Purdue jokes. And the wardrobe may even be changing as well. So we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, today we're going we're gonna to begin the family series. Tyson will be back next week um, to lead us into a study about some families we see in the Bible. And it will be, uh, be a pretty cool series. The challenge is whenever we talk about family, instantly thoughts come to mind, right, of our family. Um, the good, the bad, the crazy cousin Eddie that uh, every family has, right? And, and because of that, our families are such a huge influence that they influence our worldview, and they also influence our view of the family. And so before we dive into this, we're just going to level set just a little bit. Um, first, um, God has a design for the family, and that design is good. And God has a purpose for the family, And that purpose is good. The reason our families are messed up isn't his design, it's not his purpose, and it's most definitely not because of God. It's me. It's you. It's us. We were in vacation down in Tennessee this week, and we heard the word usins. And so if I can use usins correctly, (laughs) the problem with family (laughs) is usins. That's, that's T-shirt worthy right there. It's kind of like first grade math. 
Open up the math book. It says 2 plus 2 is 4. The teacher clearly communicates to the class 2 plus 2 is 4. If you have two apples on your desk and someone puts two more apples on your desk, how many apples do you have? And the class says 4, right? And then test day comes. And the test is thrown down, and there's 2 plus 2 plus 4, or 2 plus 2 equals, and there's a lot of other things. And in a hurry to get through the test, someone writes 5. Do we throw the math book away? Do we fire the teacher? No, and so it is with the family. God's design is good. His plan is good. And in this messed up world we live in, rather than try to change him and throw him out, um, we need to make the change. The second thing we need to level set with is you may find yourself in a family situation you don't want to be in. It could be your own doing. It could be you did everything exactly the way God wanted you to do it, and you're just sitting here today in a mess that you did not plan for. What we need to know is that you are never outside of God's love and the reach of his grace, and your family included in that. And as, as Wes sang this last song, we have a good, good Father. The reality of it is our messed up families are what they are, but God is building the perfect family. We're not perfect yet, but the church of Jesus Christ, he's our father, we're his kids. It's an incredible opportunity um, to, to join that family. The third thing is, and I'm learning, kids are not universal TV remote controls. We can't just hit a button, count to three, and boom, it's done. We can do everything right as a parent, and our kids can go and do whatever they want to do, especially as they get older and they're out from under our roof and they get to make their own decisions. And so we can't beat ourselves over that, although that does not exhaust us of the responsibility and the accountability of doing what we need to do while we have them under our roof. <clears throat> the last thing, make this very clear, the reason I'm sharing this is not because I am the perfect example of any of this stuff. I just drew the shortest straw, all right? And so this is not about be like Rob. This is not about be like Rob's kids. Um, I'm a mess. My kids are a mess. We're working, but God is working through us. And um, he is our example. He is the one we are following. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at what I believe um, is the goal, the purpose, the thing we should be dealing with and focused on as a family. It's what God has designed us to do while here on earth. And I'm going to do my best Apostle Paul impersonation. If you're familiar with Ephesians chapter 5 going into verse 6, he's talking about the family, and then it's like, are you still talking about the family? It doesn't sound like talking about the family. No, I'm not talking about the family. I'm talking about this, but now I'm talking about the family. No, you're talking about, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the family. You know, so that's where it's going to be, okay? Um, so just hang on, take notes. If you want to take notes and you can make sense of it and send it to me, tell me you should have said it this way. All right? Our launch verse today, we're going to go with Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 4. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And there's a beautiful picture here of this contrast between what fathers sometimes want to do, which is put unbearable burdens on our kids, say, here's the expectation I have for you. You are going to be everything I could not be, and we just load them up with this stuff, and it knocks them down and tears them down, and we just keep driving, driving, driving. This is me trying to convince my kids they will be the next Michael Jordan. Look in the mirror, you know? I have my three-inch vertical leap. My kids aren't going to be the next Michael Jordan. Don't hold them to that accountability, right? But rather, what should we spend our time doing? But rather, build them up, build them up, 
train them up specifically in the instruction of the Lord. Now, we're actually not going to spend a lot of time dealing with the father piece today, um, so we're going to focus on the child piece of this verse. How many of you in here, or do we have any children that you would say you're a child? We've got some children. Awesome. Good to have you here. How many of you in the first service, by the way, Ryan Oppie raised his hand. You know, Ryan, he's a school teacher. He's old enough. He's still a child. Um, once a child, always a child. How many of you once were a child? Good hand. We had a few in the first service didn't raise their hand. We, we're like, we don't know. They must be New England Patriots fans. They, they're, they're from a different world. But um, here, here's the deal. When we look at this, we see God's desire for children in this. As we grow up physically, as we grow up mentally, God's desire for each and every one of us is that we would be trained up in the instruction of the Lord. Now, why does God want us to be brought up in the training and instruction of the Lord? And we all know this, right? As you grow up, you are going to experience this at some point in time. You're launched out. It could be college. You could be hanging out in high school with some friends. You could be out in your career at the lunch table. But at some point in time, somebody is going to run in and throw a box right in the middle of your table. And one of your buddies is going to have the courage to take the lid off this thing and out breaks the greatest game of Bible trivia known to man. And God's desire for you and for me is that we play to win the game, right? Herman Edwards, school of competition, we play to win the game. And God wants us to destroy our friends and family with all our knowledge that we've accumulated about this, right? No? No, he doesn't. My dad actually told me why he wants us to be trained up in the way of the Lord. I was finishing my college education, could see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I had a couple options, um, which seemed great at the time until I had to make a decision, and then I wished I only had an option. Um, it would have been nice, so I, I said, Dad, I need your help. Um, and he said, sure, I'll help you. And so he just peppered me with question after question after question and leading me through this. And, and the wise man that he is, he didn't make the decision for me because I probably would have gone the other way. But um, he, he led me down this path. And then he said at the very end of it, he said, son, I can see God using you in either one of these career paths, but here is the main thing. Now, I have to understand at this point, my dad had been um, following Christ for around 40 years. And after graduating high school, my dad had gone off to Bible college. Now, you don't get special points in the kingdom of God for attending a Bible college, but if you take advantage of it, there is some opportunity for some increased training and instruction in the Lord. And at the school dad went to, they had to go to chapel every morning. Um, I think it was Monday through Friday. It was at least four days of the week, plus go to church. So five or six days a week, my dad's attending classes. He's taking Bible classes, Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, learning this stuff, plus going to chapel. And he does this for four years. He takes this education and he takes it with him off to seminary, which gets a whole nother group of professors who have been studying God's word for decades. And they're now pouring into him, and they've been studying from professors who've been studying for decades, and all this wisdom and insight they share with my dad, and my dad now is going to tell me, son, the main thing is, now we know there's education, and then there's education, right? And at this point in time, dad had taken his education, and he had gone and been a lead pastor for over 25 years. Back in the old days, you preached on Sunday morning. You preached on Sunday night, and you preached again on Wednesday night. Excluding Wednesday night, he taught those two, but he had preached at this time over 2,000 sermons. And if you've ever taught even 
toddlers back here and all the group, that, the group that's helping with our kids, the teacher gets way more out of it than the people they're teaching, right? And I guarantee you, by Tuesday, most of you won't know what we talked about today, and by next Sunday, you won't even know who spoke. I will remember this for a long time. And so my dad had 2,000 of these experiences of prep work, putting in all this time and study, and then sharing it um, with the church. And so he is going to tell me, son, here is the main thing. Now, along with his preaching duties, dad was also um, a pastor, which the word they use in the Bible is shepherd. And you think about what a shepherd does. A shepherd's hanging out with the sheep at night and the day, leading them here, getting them water, doing all this stuff, going through life with the sheep. And my dad had the opportunity to go through life with a group of people, and he was able to observe and see this family made this a priority, and here was the outcome. This family made this a priority, and this was the outcome. And this family made this a priority, and it went all through this whole deal. So here's my dad, 40 years of walking with the Lord, all this training, all this teaching, all this prep, and this experience, this wisdom of observing others. And he's going to say, son, here is the main thing. Now, you're going to be disappointed when I say it, because you're kind of like, really leading up to this deal, right? But here, it's so simple, and yet it's so important. He said this, son, the main thing, as you launch into this world and you go after career, as you make housing decisions, as you figure out who you're going to marry, how many kids you're going to have, where you're going to live, on vacations, where you're going to retire, when to retire, where to retire to, all the decisions you're going to make, the main thing is that you walk with the Lord. That's simple. Now, a few years later, Gary Crawford, he's our missionary to the Caribbean. And if you want to be a missionary, that's not a bad place to be a missionary. It's awesome. And, and they take guests, so they'd love to take a tour. If you want to tour with them, they'll take you. But anyway, Gary Crawford shared his life first at the time. Micah 6, 8, what is required of you immortals but to act justly, to love mercy, and here it is, and to walk humbly with the Lord. And this phrase is throughout Scripture, all the way back in Genesis 4 or 5, talking about Enoch. It says that Enoch walked faithfully with God. At the very end, John chapter 3, John says this, uh, there's no greater joy than that my children walk in the truth. And so there's this idea of this walking throughout Scripture. Now, why is walking with the Lord the main thing? <clears throat> and it's because every other thing that we can make the main thing is temporary. We had a leadership uh, talk at uh, fight night a few months back, and um, Joe Johansson was sharing um, what it looks like from a retirement perspective. And we get into our careers and we're our life, and at certain, certain times we think, you know what, if I were to leave, this company would go under, right? I mean, they barely survived me taking a week's vacation, let alone just leaving. And he said this great picture he had was, here's a 30, 35, 40-year career, and you put all your stuff in a cardboard box, and you hand in your badges, and you walk to your car, and the company just keeps on our careers are temporary. Our finances are, are temporary. Everything we have is temporary. Jesus put it this way, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? The answer to that is it doesn't. For you athletes out there, Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, and he addressed physical training. And he didn't say it was worthless, that we shouldn't do it. He said there is some value in physical training. But here's the deal. Training for godliness is much better promising benefits in this life and the life to come. 
The reason the main thing is walking with the Lord is we have the opportunity to walk with the Lord not only today, but into eternity, and there's benefits for all eternity. And so the picture we have here of this family is what's the purpose of the family? The family is to train up and instruct so that as kids are launched out into the world, we don't leave alone. And we don't leave with just a little worldly wisdom, but we actually leave walking with the Lord. So with this information at our side, Nicole and I had a clear vision as we were approaching our firstborn son. And we've been blessed with the three boys right now, and we, we surrendered. And said, no more. And so with our first one was coming, we were just like, right here, it is this. We're going we're gonna to walk humbly with the Lord. And we have monthly meetings called Mac Inc. And so we just sit down and go, here's our goals, here's our plans. Are we on track? Are we doing this? We're doing this. What do we need to work on? How we need to improve? And she's really good at getting me to change things I need to improve on, and she's got a great way of doing that. And so in that meeting, we just said, here's the deal. Our kid's coming. What are, what are we doing? We're going to walk humbly with the Lord, and we're going to teach this boy how to walk humbly with the Lord. He is going to storm the gates of hell to save lost souls. Let's go. And then life happened. Fast. Two days after he's born, we're getting ready to leave the hospital. I have him securely fastened with a four-point harness in his child safety seat, also known as the parental bicep machine. And I'm getting ready to load him in the car, and I put him rearward facing in the backseat of our car with three more points of security. I get ready to shut the door, and the nurse who followed us out climbs in the backseat of my car. And I thought, this is amazing. She loves our kid so much. She just has to give him one more hug. And of course, can you blame her? He's amazing. He's perfect. He's my boy, right? I mean, she wasn't saying goodbye to my son. She was checking my work. I'm a 30-year-old man, and she doesn't think I can fasten the seatbelt. To make it worse, she gets out of the car, gets a big smile on her face, pats me on the shoulder, and says, good job, Dad which couple thoughts were going through my mind at the time. One was my kindergarten teacher graded on a steeper curve than this lady does. <laughs> Second thing, you're old enough to be my mama. Who you calling daddy? And I entered this world that was like the twilight zone, like I didn't know that all of a sudden becoming a dad, the world just thinks I can't even fasten this seatbelt. And so they check my work on this. We're driving down the road. I'm still in the fog of this experience. When we, on 79th, right before we hit Allisonville Road, there's a railroad track crossing. And as I'm cruising down the road, I realize none of the books I've read, none of the talks I've had said anything about how fast you can hit railroad bumps with a two-day-old baby. Now, I know he's got seven points of security on him, but have you seen him? His head's this big. His neck's this big. He's like a human bobblehead. I don't know what to do. And so I'm not teasing. I guarantee you, had Meriwether Lewis and whatever his name is, Clark, shown up with their canoe, no paddles, they would have made it across those railroad tracks faster than we did. <laughs> now, I, I did learn because our third son, he got airborne. <laughs> We're, watch this. We made it home. There was actually a Colts game on that day, and I'm sitting there in my, my big chair with my newborn son and one arm, the remote control in the other, and we're watching Peyton Manning and the Indianapolis Colts take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. People start coming over, and the ladies are looking at Lake, and they're like, oh, would you look at those cheeks? He's just a perfect nail baby. I hadn't spent much time around babies. I had no idea that's how you're supposed to talk to babies. But if Granny's doing it, go ahead, Granny. You just keep talking. And so I'm in this world all of a sudden, like I didn't realize this stuff was going to happen. 
They leave, and it's just our little family. It's perfect. My beautiful wife, our newborn son. And then the sun went down. The people were laughing, her parents. Because you remember the first night the sun went down. It's like a scene from the movie The Night at the Museum. Our perfect little angel baby turned into that caveman statue. You dumb dumb. And we enter this military-grade sleep deprivation program that we weren't aware we'd signed up for called parenting. And we're off to the races. And soon we're in toddler phase. And you remember that toy that Tyson brought up a few weeks ago? It's that square thing with a lid with shapes designed to reteach parents and grandparents their shapes. And so my son is playing with this, and he's trying to get the square in the triangle. And he's jamming it and jamming it and jamming it and jamming it. And he's not... He's capable, because there were already some that he got incorrectly. But he was struggling on this one. Now, we had a family room. We had a, 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 what was it, a dining room table. Then we had a kitchen with an island. And he's sitting over here on his rear end, jamming this thing, and gets so frustrated, he just turns and chucks it. Now, I'm standing by the kitchen table at the time, and I'm watching this. Whoa. What an arm. He clears it all. He hits the oven, and I go to congratulate him on his arm when I have to duck because he has now grabbed the container, chucked the container, the lid's off, pieces are flying, I'm going for cover. And I go over there, and I have a conversation with him about anger management, you know, and we're talking through that, but then I'm like, seriously, though, your arm. We're living in Brownsburg at the time, the Brownsburg that went to the Little League World Series, the Brownsburg that put three players in the major leagues, and I'm sitting here yelling to my wife, baby, we got college taken care of. And so now I'm off firing up the 56K modem, hopping on AOL, trying to find, is there travel baseball for 18-month-old kids? Because we got to get this kid signed up, and we are off to the races. We're in sports. We're in music. It's school. And then another kid, another sports. And then we're in this. And then another kid with more sports, more stuff, more things, more of this. And we're in what's called chaos of family. In fact, I saw a, a, a Twitter yesterday from a family. They had had their whole family get together, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. There was like 30 of them. And the grandparents hashtagged it chaotic love. And that's kind of what family is, right? There's just this chaos and insane. And then finally, um, my wife goes in one day to, to hug our little baby boy. And he's standing in the kitchen um, in his bare feet. And he's looking her straight in the eye. And she's like, oh, no. We have four years left with this kid before he launches. Anyone been there before? And she's like, what in the world? And so we're sitting here going, have we taken our eye off the target? Is the main thing no longer the main thing? Did we start focusing the main thing is sports? The main thing is his music. The main thing is his education. The main thing is his popularity. The main thing is the color of his shoes. The coolness of his hair is the main thing. Our kids, have we lost track of the main thing? And so we just resolved. We said, you know what? We cannot, we cannot afford to get distracted by all the stuff of life and fail to keep the main thing at the main thing. So what we're going to look at here is how do we walk humbly with the Lord? And there's three things that can keep us on track. For me, these are things I put at the top of my list every morning um, that I need to do. And then at night, it's also a checklist. Did I do these? And if I need to confess anything before the Lord, um, that's when I do it. And they are love, learn, and lead. And the first thing, in order to walk with God, 
we must first love him. Mark 12, 30. This is a verse that is familiar here at uh, Westbridge. Um, this is the, Jesus was asked the greatest command, and he says, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And we could spend a month talking about God's love for us and our response of love um, back to him. But we're just going to take a quick, quick glance this morning at uh, two things that we need to do to love God. Number one, we must love him as Savior. People asked uh, uh, Jesus, they said, hey, what's this eternal life you're talking about and how do I get it? And in John 6, 29, he said this, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Christ has done the perfect work we could not do. Our responsibility is simply to believe in him. And this is an open invitation to all who hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, why not today? I can guarantee you this, you will not will not, will not regret a day in this life walking with the Lord, and we will not regret a day of it as we enter eternity. And so along with loving God as Savior, in order to walk with Him, we must also love Him as Lord. The word Lord means master. Um, to put it very clearly, in John chapter uh, 14, he said this. Jesus said, if anyone obeys my, or anyone who, who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. If we're going to love God, this verse is pretty clear. We obey him. Now, this is the challenge, especially among church people, and I grew up in the church, and so I was always taught God's forgiveness and God's love for me, and who wants to argue with someone loving you, forgiving you, showering you with grace and mercy? We love God's forgiveness, and we love Jesus as our Savior, but the idea of he is now my master, as in I have to do what you tell me to do, Lord. And the idea is, and the picture for me is this thing of, hey, I was walking down this road when we met, Jesus, and so what I'd like for you to do, I know I need you, and especially if I'm going to get to heaven, i got to have you, but I'd kind of like to just continue to do things my way, and I'm going to walk this way. You come along with me, and if I ever mess up, if I ever do anything that I need bailed out, how about you just bail me out? And what are we doing when we do that? We're not walking humbly with the Lord. We're trying to convince God to walk humbly with us. And that is not what he's called us to do. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And we've been, um, I don't know if you've seen people, or if you're part of the softball crew, there's these shirts, they say, live fully, live free. You see people run around Westbridge with that. This is how we live fully. And this is how we live free. When we turn from the way we were going, which put us in bondage, which is the reason Jesus had to die in the first place, and we start following him, we live life to the full, and we live life free. So if we want to walk with the Lord, we must love him as Savior. We must love him as Lord. And as we love him as Lord and Savior, the next question that kind of follows is, well, then what's all this instruction and teaching that I am supposed to obey? What are these commands? And this takes us to learn. Look at what the psalmist wrote here in Psalm 25. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. The humility in this, the surrender in this is just incredible. Show me your ways, Lord, not my own. Teach me your paths. Guide me. Teach me. Why? Because you are God, and I am not. Because you are my Savior, and I need one. And you are my hope all day, every day. And one of the things that can derail us from walking with the Lord is our pride. 
And pride can lead us to that slow, gradual drifting um, away from the Lord's teaching and truth. And John spoke on this a few years back on, I think he titled that series, The Drift. And normally how it starts, we, we start thinking, you know what? I think I know it all. And most of us aren't that proud. So we say, well, I don't know it all, but I think I know enough. Like, seriously, you know how many Sunday schools I've been a part of? You know how many vacation Bible schools I've been a part of? You know how many sermons I've had to listen to people talk? You know how many times I've read parts of this? I mean, seriously, do I really need to pick this up and read it today? I mean, what's a day off going to cost? And a week? I mean, that's not that big of a deal, right? I can go a week without doing it. It's not going to, I mean, is there anything in here that says if I don't read it in a week, I'm, no, how about, how about a month? I mean, that's cool, right? And all of a sudden, it's months, it's years, and we're living a way that we're going, how in the world did I end up here? And it was the pride of just going, I don't really need your teaching. I really don't need to learn anything, God. Just let me do things my way. And so what if we woke up every morning with this attitude, teach me? John's been trying to get us to, to be more faithful in our chair time, and this is why. What if we woke up every morning, opened God's Word, and just said, Lord, teach me. This week, I read Ephesians 4.29 through Ephesians 5.2 for devotions. 40 seconds. 40 seconds. And there's a lifetime of stuff in there that I can learn from. What if we just said, Lord, would you teach me? I didn't read more. I was, I was waterlogged with that sort of stuff right there. I was like, okay, I got to stop and focus on this. What in the world did I just read? And what if we did that every morning? Here's what will happen. He will answer that prayer. We seek him, we will find him. He doesn't hide from us. Those who seek him will find us. And along the lines of that, he will teach us. He will instruct us. And the instruction we receive can be basically summarized, you've heard this multiple times here, as love God and love others. We've talked about loving God. Um, John 15, 12 says, love each other as Christ has loved us. Now, it's fun to talk about love when we're sitting here in our comfy chairs, air conditioned, and everything's great, right? But when we get out into our families, we don't have to confess out loud to people today, but is it a challenge sometimes to love Sometimes, maybe your family, not my family. Sometimes it is my family struggles with loving me at times because I am sometimes unlovable. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. First John um, 3.18 takes us into the lead part. We have to take what God has given us and put it to work. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The kingdom of God is not about talking about stuff on Sunday morning. It's about walking with Jesus, putting those things into action. And here's a few things, um, some scripture that Mahan's going to throw up there um, for us, that just look at these things real quick and think about what if this week we just said, okay, Lord, teach me what I need to do, and then we'd go through our families serving one another humbly in love, doing everything without grumbling or arguing, everything, cleaning up after someone else's messes, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And it'd be great if he just said forgive, wouldn't it? But he puts this tagline as this qualifier that we are to forgive as he forgave us. How did Jesus forgive us? He didn't wait until everything was cleaned up. 
He didn't wait until everything was right and he had been restored to his rightful place and people were bowing down and worshiping the one true living God as he was being nailed to the cross, as people were mocking him, making fun of him, spitting on him as he's dying. He said, Father, forgive them. In the middle of our mess that we're in, we can forgive. And I, I read this. Twitter's normally not uh, that great, but uh, this week ran across a great deal. A pastor put this up there. In the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. The reality of it is we're just letting God's love, grace, and mercy flow through us to our others as we put into action what he's asked us to do. James 1.22 puts it this way, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, it doesn't say make others do what it says. It says that the listener and reader is to do what they hear from the, the word. And if I can speak to parents for just a moment, this is some things we sometimes drift on. Um, this week, we went on vacation. We took Bo Humphrey's um, sermon two weeks ago seriously. He said you could go on a boat and thank the Lord. So we went on a boat. And there was five to seven of us sitting on a, on a wakeboard boat um, for six days. And some of those days got to be 90, 95, heat index of 100 plus. Um, and we were on the boat for six to eight hours. And when you're going to be in those small confines with those many people, you will have some level of conflict. He stepped on my toe. He did it on purpose. He took my seat. Who drank my drink? Hey, that was my, it's my turn. No, you've gone twice. Hey, I want to go. And I'd had it after two days. And so I picked up the word of God, and I absolutely annihilated my kids. I said, boys, line up right here. Philippians 2.14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Repeat after me, everything, including vacation, including sitting there and watching your dad wakeboard. Everything you sit here and you do it without grumbling or arguing. Do you understand me? And then I just sat back and basked in the glow of being an incredibly godly father. And the Holy Spirit starts pinging me and going, what are you doing? You're just clowning, man. You need this verse more than anybody in this boat. You're grumbling about your kids. Yesterday, you argued with one of your kids. And you have yet to go back and apologize for what you said. What are we going to do if we are going to walk humbly with the Lord, but we're going to take the word of God, and rather than try and go, man, I wish so-and-so was hearing this. Hey, you need to hear this. We would sit here and go, Lord, would you teach me? And then we take it, and we put it into practice. The truth is we got to lead by example. Here's a, here's a question, um, though, can be somewhat sobering. The truth is that every single person in this room, you are leading someone somewhere. The question is where? If someone were to follow your example, who would they become? What would be their God or who would be their God? What would be their main thing? And maybe, just maybe, the greatest thing you and I will ever accomplish isn't this temporary kingdom that we're building down here, but maybe the greatest thing we ever accomplish on earth is that we simply lead others by our example as we follow Christ's example on a daily basis. <clears throat> the picture I have in my head comes from a group of three young men 
um, thousands of years ago. They were up-and-comers, and they had been trained up in the instruction and teaching of the Lord. And their country was taken over by another country, but because of these guys' ability and promise, they were brought into this leadership, emerging leaders program. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take you. We think you guys are fit to serve in the king's palace, but what we've got to do first is we've got to change some things about you. We are going to indoctrinate you in our way of doing things, the way we do life. And so they were going to be taught the literature, they're going to be taught the language, and eventually what we see is they're going to be taught, you are going to do things the way we do things here, you're going to worship our gods. And it culminates in, in this day in which this king had built this ginormous idol out of gold, and he tells the nation, everyone come down and bow down to this amazing God that I have built. And these three young men, theologians say they were still in their teens, in a foreign country with life at stake, say, we're not doing that. We can't do that. We're not allowed to serve other gods. How in the world did they get that kind of courage and that boldness? But it was that they had been trained up from an early age in the teaching and instruction of the Lord. So the king gives him a mulligan, and he brings him in, and he says, hey, guys, I don't think you understand what, what's, what's at stake here. If you won't bow down to this, we're throwing you in the furnace. You're going to die. Just bow down. Their response, <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Their life at stake in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego never lost sight of the main thing. They were going to walk humbly with the Lord, even if it cost them their temporary life. They believed in an eternal God. And what we see next is God's deliverance is they throw them in the fiery furnace. He asked that the fire be stoked seven times hotter than it had originally been. And it was so hot that the soldiers who threw them in are burned up. And King Nebuchadnezzar looks back and goes, yeah, he's looking for revenge. Here we go. And what in the world? They're walking around. Wait a minute. There's not... And he turns to his buddy and said, did we not throw three people in there? I see four. And this is the picture that's stuck in my head. Three young men trained up in the way of the Lord. They're thrown into the toughest situation they'll ever be put in. And they are what? They are not alone. They are walking with the Lord and he delivered them. And as we have the opportunity within the family unit to launch our kids into the world full of opportunities challenges, the good, the bad, the fiery furnace moments of life, God's desire is that they would not walk alone, but rather they would have been brought up in the training and instruction of the Lord so that they could walk in those moments, every moment, the successes, the bad, everything, humbly with him throughout their life and into eternity. And we have this opportunity only because of the work of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5.10, he said that Jesus died for us so that we could live 
with him now and into eternity forever. Jesus didn't die just for our after-death salvation. Jesus died on the cross so that you and I could walk with him today. Tomorrow, as we wake up and face our week, it is not just another day to jump into the rat race of life. We have an opportunity to walk humbly with the Lord. It's not just another day of summer vacation. It's not just another day of retirement. Tomorrow is another day we have an opportunity to walk humbly with the Lord. And we can do this by loving God as our Savior and as our Lord learning his instruction, and then just simply putting it into practice and thereby leading others by our example as we follow Christ's example. What an opportunity God has provided for us. I say we go for it. Guys up for it? So this week, let us walk humbly with the Lord. Small groups um, and individuals, families, if you're looking for homework, Ephesians 4, 29 through 5, 2, teach me. Lord, teach me what I need to know and then put that into practice in our families. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for the work that you have done. We thank you for your love and that you didn't just talk about loving us, but you sent your son into the world to live among us, to show us how to live, to show us how to surrender to the Father. And he showed us what love really was as he gave his life for us. And we thank you for that. And Lord, I just pray for each family. I pray for each person here that we will seize the opportunity that you have provided, that we will walk humbly with you as we love you, we love others, we learn more about you each day, and then we simply put that into practice. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.